Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately, the podcast with the film news, the film reviews and recommendations and all the best movie memories. And the second one which stands out to me the most is the moment when Heath Ledger came on screen for The Dark Knight. You know, he's kind of, he's on, he's on, the, I think he's on the street corner holding the mask and you just, it just pushes into the back of him. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favourite moments in cinema. That's Craig Roberts there, actor and now firmly established director, who's knocked one right down the middle with his latest comedy, The Phantom of the Open, starring Mark Rylance as Morris Flitcroft, dubbed the world's worst golfer. It's not really about golf, but it's all about the best of British cinema, a real winner of a film about losing. We'll hear from Craig Roberts and from his screenwriter Simon Farnaby a bit later in the show after I tell you, of course, if I've seen any good films lately. Seen any good award ceremonies lately, more like? Because yes, I was at the BAFTAs, which was a wonderful weekend in London, that's for sure, with talent gatherings from all around the world for doc makers thrown by Nat Geo, National Geographic, uh, French filmmakers at the Ambassador's Residence, uh, nominees at BAFTA HQ and Charles Finch's Glamorous Bash and so forth, leading up to the big event at the Royal Albert Hall itself. Did you watch it? I didn't see the TV edit myself, which went out two hours after the real thing, which I watched live at the Albert Hall from the Vantage of the Press Room this year. But even award-winning editors would have struggled to make that exciting. Come on, it just wasn't a good show, was it? Rebel Wilson, who was the host this year, was okay, but frankly, her continuous sexual jibes thrown towards Benedict Cumberbatch and Tom Hiddleston were ugly and stupid and sexist. Imagine if those gags about, oh, I want to be inside you and I want a bit of Tom Hiddleston inside of me. Imagine if that was a male host who went around looking at Salma Hayek or Penelope Cruz and making jokes about their boobs or wanted to be inside them. Really? That would not be allowed. So, you know, it doesn't, it's not funny being bawdy just because you're, you're, you're a girl. It's rubbish. I thought she had a nightmare personally, Rebel Wilson, her and her writers, that stuff with the Cumberbatch cake was rubbish. The sandworm gag was cheap. And there was no tension in the proceedings. So that's what we're there for, to reward films and, and make sure that people sustain a momentum throughout the night. And she failed to do that and anchor it like a proper presenter. So no wonder no one watches awards ceremonies anymore. I used to love them, but there needs to be a refresh, really urgently. How about no nominees? We just announced the winners. Would that work? Not really, because you need to have them all there in the room and you need to generate a buzz and debate in the lead-up. That's the whole point of awards ceremonies. They kind of focus the conversation and concentrate the conversation around movies that we want people to watch. But how do we keep that buzz all the way through to the winner being read out? I don't know. I don't know. But it's not with Rebel Wilson, I'll tell you that. I was thrilled for Joanna Scanlon winning Best Actress, and I'd called that because it's a very BAFTA thing to do, rewarding the home favourite. And of course, I'd seen her in After Love, and when you see that performance in After Love, well, it's just great anyway. So well done to her and to all involved with After Love. It did look like Jane Campion's Power of the Dog might not get anything. There was a little moment where you thought, well, hold on, maybe it's going to get completely snubbed, which would have been a story in a way. Uh, but, you know, in the end, it scooped the two biggest awards of director and best film, and that makes it a triumph. Campion, I thought, could have done an acceptance speech by video, at least, because she wasn't there. 
but she did send Benedict up in her stead on her behalf, allowing him to be gracious about losing out on Best Actor to Will Smith and to grab back what dignity Rebel Wilson had left him with. My favourite line of the night was uh, Japanese director Ryosuke Hamaguchi winning the uh, FNITEL. It's the film not in the English language, a new acronym I discovered, FNITEL, for um, Drive My Car. And him opening with a gag, translated and delivered very well by his interpreter. Well, that got rid of my jet lag, he said. And he'd literally just arrived in their great film as well, Drive My Car. Very much worth watching. Cheers for Cruella's best costumes. Props to Lashana Lynch for Rising Star. May it bring even bigger things to her because she is a star. Yay for West Side Story's Ariana DeBose. Best supporting win after her appearance on this show, of course. Whoop for another guest of mine, Questlove, winning Best Doc for Summer of Soul. And thanks to Netflix for a really rather fun after party, if I'm honest, where I spoke to Stephen Daldry, Questlove, Gorinda Chada, Florence Pugh, a DJ and musician Lou Hater, Celine Sciamma, Andy Serkis, Billy Piper, Julia DeCorno, and probably quite a few others that you'd know, but who I've forgotten because someone gave me a way too powerful old fashioned right near the end of the night and it just sent me I had to leave. Anyway. That was a good bash, Netflix. Congratulations on the wins for Power of the Dog. Can they reel in the big one at the Oscars in a few days' time? I know they want to. Good luck. Right. Not a BAFTA nominee. Not yet, anyway. Phantom of the Open is, however, a gem. A little British classic of a film starring Mark Rylance with a masterful comic performance as Morris Flitcroft, a crane driver from Barrow in Furness. He's amazing in it, as is Sally Hawkins as his wife, Jean. Morris, smitten by what he sees on the telly one night, takes up golf and enters the Open Championship just weeks later. You all right down there, old boy? Oh, yes. Hello, gents. Are you in the right place, old chap? Yes, I'm here to join the club, and I see you're a three-ball. If you care to make it a four, I'm available. Happy to join. Uh, we're, um, we're waiting for someone. Yes. George. George Green. Actually, thanks for the offer, gents, but uh, on second thoughts, uh, I think I'd prefer to play on my own today. I hope you don't mind. Morris Flitcroft. This is actually a true story, one that caught the interest of writer Simon Farnaby, who wrote a book about it uh, with Guardian journalist Scott Murray, and then found a way to tee this one up as a screenplay. It's a tricky one. I, I sort of wrote a screenplay before the book, which was the wrong way around. And also I hadn't written a screenplay before, so um, it was a totally foolish enterprise. It was really quite a Flickcroftian move of myself to... Um, write a screen i think i'd really only done a, at that point this might have been like 2009 or something i'd i think i'd written probably no more than sort of a six minute tv thing right. and then i thought i'm gonna write an entire movie well presumably but you, you lot on horrible histories probably wrote sketches and sketches and sketches and you know so you felt that you could just put, a, put them all together and then you get a screenplay yeah yeah i see what you mean you're saying you know collectively they could make up 90 minutes. Yeah, if you sort of strung it. That's how the Python, <laughs> that's how course, the Python started, you know. That's true, yeah. I think I'm sort of suited to the longer form. I'm actually probably worse at writing sketches than I am at writing films, strangely enough. 
I don't know why. I mean, that is a real skill. It's actually an amazing skill to write sort of short things. Yeah. Because I always go, what's beginning, middle, and an end? And you go, it just needs to be funny. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't, <laughs> you know, don't overcomplicate it. But uh, to answer your question, what I was doing weirdly with the, when I started writing the screenplay was stretching the story out and making stuff up to fill it up to 90 minutes. Whereas after I researched the book, it was really about condensing it because there were so many things that we had to take out of the film because Morris's life was so bizarre and sort of, you know, he, he, was, he had a few tilts at windmills before he found golf. And so we, 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 um, we couldn't put everything in. You know, it was, it was all about sort of editing, really, and sort of honing it down as to what the story actually was, which was a, a winning film about a loser. That is just a bit of my interview with Simon Farnaby. He of Horrible Histories, best-selling kids' books, and the script for Paddington 2. You can hear more of that, and it's well worth it because he's, he's a lovely guy, and we had a great chat on my Totally Wired radio show by going to that site, totallywired.com, uh, and my face on the catch-up page, or go to Mixcloud, or just Google Jason Solomon, Simon Farnaby, Totally Wired, and you should find it. But here is the director Craig Roberts, also a star of Horrible Histories, the movie, Rotten Romans, but also from Submarine, Red Oaks and Skins, and now making his third film as director after Just Jim and Eternal Beauty. I've got to say, with this one, though, he's really found a groove, and other golfing puns can ensue. So it was time to congratulate him on making the UK's best ever golf movie. Sorry, family movie. A movie about dreamers, a movie about the class system, and anything you like. It's not about golf, honest. Congratulations on the film, Craig. Beautifully done, beautifully put together, great tone. I loved it. I thought it was charming and funny, and it's a, a winning film about losing. Oh, thank you so much for saying. Yeah, yeah lovely. That's, that's a lovely way of looking at it. Yeah, thanks so much for saying. <laughs> when did you know what sort of film it was that you were making? Because I, I suspect that you're not sort of at, at heart a golfer. No, and I'd, I'd never really thought that I'd make a sports film. If I'm, t- if I'm totally honest with yeah, you, yeah. I mean, looking at your previous work, there's no, there's no hint of the of the Ron <laughs> Shelton about you. Yeah, um, I well, it, it started start with the script. I mean, the script was fantastic. You know, Simon has just created such a great world, and you know, it's based on a true story. And when when reading it, to be honest, I was kind of blown away that it was a true story, hard, hard to believe. Mm. And then once I'd finished, uh, did the research, saw the videos, and was like, wow, yeah, I was like, I have to direct this. I, I think I immediately saw kind of a way into it, and almost like what it what it couldn't be or shouldn't be rather I, I kind of you know what did you see so when you read it I mean, this is what I'm intrigued about that little spark that you've got is that you see the script beautifully written and it's got jokes in it and you know obviously Simon's got that warmth that he had in Paddington 2 and that emanates from it yeah. what did you see that went mm, they, they, I can I can do this like visually how did you see it and were there any references that sprung to mind immediately well, my fear was that it would be like, you know, the, the way to not do it would be to cover it in like social realism, you know, and for it to be you know, really, really gritty. I think um, it's certainly a movie about class and, a, you know, a battle of classes. Um, but for me, I, it was it was his optimism and his spirit and the way he saw the world and how much of a dreamer he was that I suppose it reminded me a little bit of movies like Billy Liar. And, and, you know, and that was certainly a reference, Billy Liar, because, you know, it, it looks absolutely fantastic and it's and it's magical and surreal in places. There's a, little um, clip, but there's a clip of Billy Liar in your film, isn't there? 
Yeah, we paid a good bit of money for that clip. Oh, that really? Was that, yeah. about two, it's about, it was about two seconds. I think it was pretty expensive. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm, pre I'm pretty sure it was. Well, yeah, also because, I mean, I do love that movie, and it's kind of the opposite of our movie. You know, at the end, he doesn't leave the town, and, you know, he's, I mean, people saw it at the time. It was kind of nihilistic that he, mm. he didn't go away. He stayed in his hometown. But I love that about it. And I suppose other references were, I had American references, really. It was like Bergy Nights and, like, Paul Thomas Anderson movies, like Magnolia, Ma mainly because there was just so much story, and I I love I loved that about it and I was just um I, I became obsessed with like the idea of maybe moving through it very quickly and making it feel kinetic so that it didn't feel too much for people. So I, that's what I love about the film in that it's a really classic British story, the, the, the classic underdog, the the Ealing story, if you like, but it has this color to it, this this and there's some fantasy sequence as well, sort of that reminds you of the big Lebowski, you know, the sort of hurtling yeah. uh things. And it's got all those and but I I in no point does it feel like an American film uh, and I, I mean that in the best way not not that you failed in a way no no not at all that's that's the funny thing about it people you know are saying that it's so quintessentially british and stuff mm. and I, I guess i just didn't see it that way in some you know i, I i've I heard the references to like ealing comedy and that's amazing i mean you know maybe i should like flip it and say that was the reference <laughs> at, this <laughs> at this point um i think it was just more you know certainly with modern british cinema i think um it can feel very very real and it's almost you know it's european where it's handheld and it's very very close in your face and very serious and I, I guess I just didn't want that I think that's why I look to America a little bit more with like you know laying more track and just just having a bit of movement in there really yeah. and with the, the you know the color, the color palette of it all and the surreal moments in it that all came from I mean that was in the script the surreal moments but my my way into it was uh, there was a scene that the um Simon had that described Morris as revealing his golf attire like Superman like pulling his you know work overalls open um and that that immediately was like, oh, that's really interesting. So I, I started playing with the idea that potentially he was Superman. So we we put like loads of little Easter eggs throughout the movie where like there's a comet that pings to Earth at the beginning and yes, um, and and that 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 informed the color really, like the blue. The and there's, a, there's the world, and he sort of circles the world. But yes, Superman. Yeah, so Superman, and that 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 all credit goes to Punch Drunk Love for that because I love Punch Drunk Love and. You know, in that movie, he's supposed to be an alien or Superman of some sorts and is, you know, dealing with his social anxiety in that way. Great. Oh, lo lovely references. Lovely to talk about that. What about Mark Rylance? I, I just spoke to Simon, so I know that you went, what about Mark Rylance? I mean, yeah. I just think that was an, a, a great idea. I, I don't think it would ever have occurred to me. Uh, where did you see that there might that Rylance might be the right person for this? Well, I just knew he was amazing. I'd seen him on stage and yeah. I, knew that he, I knew that he was amazing. M m actually, I I watch interviews more so than performances to see like if, you know, s to see what people are like, because it's really hard to see a performance, you know, that's a, a specific performance and then try and, you know, envision them in something else. So, whereas when you see them as themselves in interviews, it's sometimes easier to get access to who they like and, and stuff yes, like that. I'm getting right to the nub here, Craig, right to the <laughs> pure Roberts. Getting all the answers. <laughs> when, when I said, when I had the script, what I didn't want to do was play to the comedy too much. It was a funny, funny script, and I knew mm. and I knew that. And I was like, if we kind of shot it like a drama, I think the comedy is going to be there anyway. And then by the end of it, we'd be able to feel the emotional moments a little bit more. Um, so you know, I thought, who's the best? You know, who's the best? And Mark is pretty much the best. You know, he grounds things and. Um, he just transforms and he's he's done it again. He's just, yeah, he's a, he's, he's a joy it's, to work with. It's a wonderful performance. It really is. Very difficult not, you know, it doesn't, it's like he's not in a comedy. The, as you say, the script is funny and what yeah. he's doing is funny, but there's no point where he's like mugging or doing a comic performance. And yet it is one of the finest comic performances I can, I've ever seen. 
Oh, well, that's yeah. Well, you know, that, I think that's the power of him. He's he's kind. Of, I think it's amazing. He's almost like a mixture of like Bill Murray deadpan, mm. but then like the physicality of like Jack Tati or like Buster Keaton, you know. And I think that's um, that's what he brings to it. And yeah, I think if we'd have gone full comedy, like like you just said, or like you know playing to that, it'd be a completely different film. It reminds me a bit of Alec Guinness in the in the sort of Man in the White Suit or Kind Hearts and Coronets. Although he was doing comic performances, they were never yeah. huge. You know, they were always the sort of something you could see the Alec Guinness in there somewhere, the spark of the original guy. Well, I think they just feel yeah, and, and you know they feel genuine, they feel real, they feel like real performances. And and what what you know, I think one of one of his his strengths is that there's there's just something to his performances that feels like there's just something going on, something more going on that you just can't quite tell. Like it's almost like it's more than the sum of its parts is what it feels like. It's and that's what makes him special. You know, that's what makes him really special. I love. I know that you work with Sally Hawkins a lot, and that you're, you know, that you're friends, and I, I love her too. I love her too. Uh, I, I would I, again, you know, I, would you put Mark, would you put Mark Rylance and Sally Hawkins together as a couple? And yet, when you see them in this, they're so brilliant together, so loving, so different. He's got like a round, and she's kind of straight, and it's just yeah. uh, they, they form a sort of I don't know. They're like a they're like a golf a golf club and a, and a hole. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, it's like, you know, you know, it's, I suppose, cast, you know, casting against it a little bit, it's a comedy, but we basically got two kind of method actors to, mm. to do it. You know, they both, they both really stay in the characters and, um, and they put up, they put a lot of work into the detail and the research of it all. I knew a young man once said it was going to be somebody. Promised me diamonds, caviar, champagne. Travel the world, he said. Sounds like you you should have married him. <laughs> I know you've made sacrifices for us, Morris. You don't have to look after us anymore. It's your turn now. For what? Oh, it's up to you, isn't it? Can't think of everything. I just know how good, I mean, I just know how good Sally is. I think no matter what the part was, I could send it to Sally and know that she's going to bring something new to it. And um, she's just so warm. She, she's just she so inviting. She brings a new, a new performance each time. She, she does, you know, because she's a woman, she probably gets a lot of parts that are quite similar. Uh, she must get right. offered bit for, for all the ones that we see. There must be 20 or five that she has to turn down and say, I'm not doing that. This sort of eye rolling Mrs. Overall kind of cup of tea stuff. Right, right. Uh, which, you know, this role could have been that, but she takes it and makes a, such a, a beautiful performance. The little eye movements, the sort of tilts of the head, the inflections of the voice to get herself heard amongst her family. Uh, it, it, it really is quite extraordinary what she does, I think. I, I think so. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and you know, that was something we definitely didn't want it to be. We just didn't want it to be, you know, her her character just to live to support Morris. It was about her just, you know, it was about her love for everybody and just that, you know, she, look, Morris couldn't do the stuff he did. Yes, he was very confident and he believed in himself, but she was more confident and believed in him probably more than more than, more than than he did in, in times or in places. Um, but again, it's the it's the gestalt of Sally. She there's just something in her performances that she's like she's just doing. She's there's magic there. Yeah, and well, look, that's the stuff that makes you cry. You know, it's the, Sally makes you cry in it. It's not it's not Mark actually. It's it's Sally's reaction. Yeah, she's the heart. She's the heart of the movie. She really is. She really is. Brilliant. Well, I'm glad that you keep working with her because it's good. She yeah, as long as she'll ha yeah, as long as she'll keep coming coming to play that, then yeah, I'm happy. So, are you a filmmaker now? I mean, you always were. Will you? Let, maybe I'm going to flip that. Were you always a filmmaker? Then? I don't think I was always a filmmaker. No, no I don't, no, I don't think no. you were. Either. 
I think I think I, I was an actor for a bit, and that was really fun, and I loved it, and I was I felt very grateful to be able to do it. Um, but when I think when once you know when I was acting, I didn't really feel like I was always an actor. I think that filmmaking is something that I just feel more comfortable doing it. If I'm totally honest, you're very good and, at it. Oh, well, I appreciate that. You're getting so and you're getting you're getting better as well. You're getting well. Ho hopefully, if I was getting worse, I'd go back to acting. I definitely <laughs> would. I'd pivot back. Um, uh, but look, you're never going to know everything about directing. It's just about you know you learn something new every time, and and most of it really is employing really great people that you know you can take all the credit for afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you but you're 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 really into the craft of it. You know, I'm you know I think that's which I think directors that just happens, isn't it? Because someone offers them a lens or whatever it is and stock and film stock. But I guess you get more confident with that and. You, you guess how that works, how that works narratively for, for you in terms of the technical turning into the visual and the narrative? Yeah, I think like it's the same kind of bug people get when they, you know, when people say they really love golf. <laughs> and I can't quite understand how that is sometimes, you know. It's the same thing with, like, I think what happened with me with filmmaking. I'm just, I'm so obsessed with it. I really am obsessed with the craft of it. And I, I really, you know, I don't want to be ignorant to, like, all, all the stuff that goes into it. So that's why I'm just trying to constantly take in as much as possible. And, yeah, I think that, you know, some directors are not, you know, um, keen on being overly visual and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I certainly am. I think I, if I'm not adding something to the iconography or, or what's going on, I, I, it, for me, it may as well be a radio play. What was the first film you ever saw? Uh, Rover Dangerfield. Do you know that movie? I don't. What's that? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a Rodney Dangerfield uh, animation. Uh, I don't know if Disney did it. Uh, it might have been too dark for Disney, but it's about a dog that gets chucked out of the house and he goes to Vegas to become a show dog. It's an animation, as you said, yeah. But yeah. Rodney Dangerfield, of course, is in Caddyshack. That's right, so absolutely. that is why you're now making a golf movie. Caddyshack, love Caddyshack. Absolutely yeah. love Caddyshack. Um, <laughs> that was the first movie. My, my grandfather bought me that on VHS, so I watched that movie a lot, um, and I loved that movie. Um, I've actually not seen it for a long time. And then the second movie I watched was The Mask, I remember. Jim Carrey's wow. The Mask. Yes, of course. And you do know that I saw you on the golf course with Mark Rylance uh, while you were you did. making this. And, and that I saw you, I thought, what's he doing with Mark Rylance? And Mark Rylance was definitely sort of holding his bag like uh, like <laughs> Morris would. And I thought, he's in character. It wouldn't put me, put it, wouldn't put it past Mark, Rylance to be doing a golf movie. I just didn't think that Craig Roberts would be directing it. I thought maybe you were, <laughs> you were in it as well as his caddy, because that's what you did look like his sort of, sort of trusty sidekick caddy at that point. And I said to my friend, that's Rylance. And Robert, he said, what is he doing? And we walked off up the fairway. I said, oh, and, he, and my friend said, oh, they're doing Caddyshack 2. And <laughs> in a way you are, but much better than Caddyshack 2 would ever have been. <laughs> All right. Well, who knows? Who know? Yeah, I mean, Caddyshack, I mean, that's such a great movie. I mean, that's, I mean, that's influenced so much. Um, it was interesting when you, but when we bumped into you, I think Mark probably was probably in character a little bit by then anyway, because his, you know, his, his uh, process starts really early. Mm. Um, I remember going to, that's the first day, actually, we'd, we'd started practicing and, we, you know, a coach was helping him get the swing close to Morris. But the first time he hit the ball, I was like, he's pretty good. He's pretty just look at it. It's really, it's just a, a sort of a, a, what do you call it? An imitation in a way, you know, that he can do yeah. it perfectly. Some actors have got that, you know, they can suddenly dance, you know, even believe they're not dancers. What's about uh, posters on your wall, Craig Roberts? Did you have those when you were growing up, film posters? I'm trying to think if I had any movie posters. I probably didn't. I now have a lot of movie posters on my wall. Do you? Yeah, I have. What have you got? I've got The Graduate, I've got mm. the United Artists release of The Graduate poster, I've got uh, The Elephant Man, I've got um, The Long Goodbye by Altman. Oh, yeah. Um, I got... Three of my favourites, by the way. 
love uh, films and posters together yeah and uh, the the ultimate one's really fantastic it's kind of the caricature and like all the people are, uh, around him and then i've got a really nice conformist the bertolucci's conformist um in yeah, italian yeah, Italian, yeah, yeah, exactly. You got Italian. your conformista, yeah. Yeah, conformista, yeah. Um, my favorite one I've got probably is Taxi Driver. I've got like the painted of like Travis Bickle standing in the street. Have you got any room in your house that hasn't got a film poster in it in this case? Uh, <laughs> I don't actually, no, I don't. Oh, Phantom Thread. I have a lovely Phantom Thread one from when they did the 75 mil release. Um, I got really obsessed with collecting posters for a while. You did, didn't you? You've done very well. And and Phantom <laughs> obviously is, is a big name for you, so you could have a Phantom in the open. That was part of the yeah, you know, you know, I love Paul Thomas Anderson, so any 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 nod possible. Um, what about if I could transport you with a gift of time travel back to a film being made and you could go onto the set of that film to watch it being made? And it could be an iconic scene that you could be there for the moment that they got that cut, they got the take, or you could be there for the sort of eight week shoot if you wanted to. Where where would you go and which set would you go to? Uh, probably Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. Ooh, it's probably where I'd go. It's my favorite Kubrick film. I know it's not. I know a lot of people don't like. It's that. not everyone's. No, no, no it's not. It's, it wouldn't be an entry of their favorite. Um, I just, I just, I don't know. I, I think I, I love the story that Paul Thomas Anderson went to that set, and that Tom, I think Tom Cruise brought him to the set, and it was a great moment where uh, Paul Thomas Anderson introduced himself as the right uh, was introduced as the writer of uh, uh, the director of Boogie Nights, and Kubrick was like, "Oh, that's great." And then Paul Thomas went back to Kubrick and was like, I also wrote it. And and PTA says that there was just this respect that Kubrick had from immediately once he, once he knew that. Probably just to see that interaction, I'd love to see that because Paul Thomas Anderson is my favourite writer and I think Kubrick would be second. And then also just to see how, how he worked Kubrick. I think with any of his sets, really, I would have just loved to have seen what, what, the, what the vibe was on. I, I, you know, I think it's a great choice. I do think you've put yourself in for like the really the longest day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Like it went on for what, like two years, a year and a half or something? Yeah, exactly. It's, I think to this day, it's the longest production ever, right? It is. And and there's 140 takes in some. So that's the day you'll probably get there for that one. <laughs> I love it. There's, you know, there's a great, in Elephant and Castle, uh, Castle they have the um, the Kubrick archives and you can actually just uh, email them and you can go in there for free and like go, go through all his notes and his production notes and all that stuff. It's have really you done cool. that? I did, yeah, I did. I went with a friend for his birthday a couple of years ago, um, and a film, a film that I'm hopefully going to direct in the summer is uh, adapted from an Arthur Schnitzler novella, which is what Eyes Wide Shut is adapted yes. from. So I wanted to see how he he adapted um, from Schnitzler. Yeah, yeah, good. What you direct? Can you tell us what you what you might direct? Well, it's called Honey, and it's about it's a relationship drama. I can't really say too much about it, but that it's a relationship drama that's very surreal and dark. It's a lot darker than uh, the openers. So. Yeah, that's hopefully, you know, I've been adapting it for the last like four years. So oh, I'm wow. happy, to, happy to get it off my desk. Yeah, you wrote dark. it as well? Yeah. 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 Tell Kubrick that when you when you direct it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. What's your favourite musical moment in film? And it could be, a, you know, a dance number from a musical or it could just be the use of music, you know, diegetic or non-diegetic. Interesting. I find music, I find... Uh, uh, there's a lot of good music in uh, in your in Phantom of the Open, really nicely used, yeah, kind of cheekily. I, I, and... Well, the, yeah, the, the, we, yeah, the producers and you know this, the music supervisors did a great job. We have so many so many tracks back to back. I think actually one of my favourite musical moments is actually Eight Mile, the end of Eight Mile, um, where Marshall Mathers or Eminem, whoever, whoever he's playing, B Rabbit in the movie, um, does the rap battle. Yeah. It's like you know it's the rap Rocky and. Um, 
yeah, it makes my, makes my hair stand up every time I watch it. I absolutely love that. It's L- amazing, that. isn't it? Because you're, you're like, it, it, it becomes the climax of the movie and therefore the start of his life, and that's where it, he's gone. Exactly, and I love that. I love that so much. I, and I think uh, I think it's Curtis Hanson, right? Like yeah. the, the, that movie is just beautiful. It looks fantastic. I find musical musicals actually in general very funny. Like the, the people just start breaking into song. I think that I find I find it very very funny. <laughs> What's your favorite cinema? Where's your favorite cinema? At two. So yeah. Prince Charles definitely. Love the Prince Charles. Yeah, that's, that's uh, up your street. Well, it's not up yeah. street, it's in Leicester Square. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that the show prints, and I think that's amazing. Um, and then uh, Showcase Cinema in uh, a place called Nankaroo in Wales, which is where I uh, kind of where I grew up, and my parents took me to that cinema. I'm actually going to go back this weekend to watch Phantom of the Open with them there. In your childhood cinema? Yeah. Which what cool. was the first film you saw there? I've, I remember it being the probably I don't remember the first one, but the the biggest moment. There's two moments I remember. Lord of the Rings, the first one. I remember seeing that there and just being like, "Oh wow, wow." Um, and the second one, which stands out to me the most, is the moment when Heath Ledger came on screen for The Dark Knight. I just remember everybody kind of like the silence was just amazing, and you know he's kind of he's on he's on the, I think he's on the street corner holding the mask, and you, it just pushes into the back of him. Yeah. Um, that's one of my favorite moments in cinema. Wow. And that's where you're going to take the Phantom of the Open back to on this weekend. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I hope they cheer to the rafters. A, a returning hero uh, with uh, <laughs> with a golfing hero. I, sorry, a, 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 a human, I suppose he's not like, I was going to say he's a sporting hero, but he's kind of like a, a champion of humanity, Morris Cliff, Flickcroft, or the one that in your film emerges. So I suppose he is. Yeah, I suppose he is. I think he's a legend. I think yeah, he's definitely he's a legend. Totally a legend. Craig Roberts, so are you, mate, now. Well done. Uh, oh, thank really, you so much. And thanks for saying nice things. And great. To, thanks for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. It's been a long time. I'm glad we can finally do it. Me too. Me <laughs> I've too. Kept the, I've only kept the show going so I could get you on, you know, <laughs> so after season two. But I don't know. Not till I got Roberts. Uh, <laughs> congratulations, Craig, on making a, a British classic. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And Phantom of the Open which is about golf, really, is out on Friday the 18th of March all around the UK, an inspiration to terrible golfers everywhere, which is, let's face it, most of us, and, and mostly to people who hate golf. They'll love it too. That's about it for this week. Just to say that also out this week is Jacques Odiard's Paris 13th District, which I've talked to you about before and with Jenny Beth on last week's show. So do catch up with that episode if you haven't already. And I think you'll enjoy that film. It's very stylish and French and sexy and youthful. Okay, so I will see you next week. Thanks to my guests, Simon Farnaby and Craig Roberts. And congratulations to the both of you. A formidable Ryder Cup pairing you'd make like Seve and Ollie. If you know what I'm talking about, which you probably don't. Thanks too to Kate Dawkins for putting it all together. And I'll leave you with my movie tune of the week, which features both in Phantom of the Open and in the forthcoming rom-com from Norway, The Worst Person in the World. Oh, there's another one I spoke to at the BAFTAs, Renata Rainsvig. Bye.